Are you ready to go? Fiction yeah. To Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends, the only podcast on the internet, and also the last. We watch amusing, odd, and oddly amusing anime and then talk about it until you hate the sound of our voices. I'm the annoying Sabrina Ray, here with the know it all, Don. Don, how are you? I couldn't be better after that entirely spot on introduction. We have a very special show this week. Are you excited? I am excited. Last week we discussed the finale of Sarazanmai, and this week we have a very special friend of the show with us, someone I've known for multiple decades when I was editorial director for a Japanese rock magazine called Purple Sky. She was a writer there, and she went on to write for multiple pu- publications. Um, she's a big fan of Sarazanmai, also one of the reasons that I chose this particular anime for coverage. She's known for these wild birthday party karaoke bashes. A person I am beyond proud to call my friend, Victoria Goldenberg. Say hello. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. It's great to have you. Uh, I really wanted to get you on for this particular uh, show because you were so enthusiastic about it. Still am. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> when, I, when I like something, I like it for life, basically. So people know kind of where you're coming from. Like, what is your background with anime? What was the first anime you liked? Or what was the one that left the biggest impression on you when you were impressionable and young? Basically, I've been a weeb for about 25 years. I The first thing I consciously consumed knowing it was Japanese animation was Sailor Moon when it was originally broadcast in a very sanitized English dub on broadcast TV at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> it actually really dovetails perfectly with this because it was also, you know, in addition to being the first thing I consciously consumed as anime, it was also my first exposure to Ikuhara because he directed several episodes in the first season and became became main director for some of the later seasons. I also directed the first movie, Sailor Moon R, which was the first anime I ever saw subtitled, also in... 1985 or 1996. Wow, that is a long history you've had with Ikuhara. And I know you just finished watching an Ikuhara marathon, basically, (laughs) of like, you did like all of his, all of his series, all of his main series, plus the supplementals. And I'm not sure how deep you went with that. I mean, I tried to do everything that was available in English, leaving off, leaving off certain, leaving off certain things. Like I I could have watched this playthrough of this, the Utena Saturn game. I didn't. (laughs) I, I didn't have the I didn't have the patience for that at the time. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, what is it about Ikuhara anime that like sings to you? There are there are a lot of things, but I think what resonates most with me is the simultaneous highbrow and lowbrow. Like I'm the kind of person who will be in the ER and completely joking the entire time. <laughs> I, I you know I'm someone who deals with tough situations by with humor, so it's. The, the fact the fact he's not afraid to mix to mix humor and seriousness to mix the highbrow and lowbrow at the same time is something is something that I really I find really refreshing and really appreciate it's um it's something it's something I think a lot of I think I think a lot of other directors aren't willing to do is something's either serious or humorous but not not both 
if someone likes Sarazama like Dawn and I enjoyed it, um, which other Ikuhara property would you recommend? I'd always go with the Revolutionary Girl Utena. That was one. That's one of my all-time favorites. It's just it's it was something he made after leaving Toei when he was working on Sailor Moon, and it, it's 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 he, he takes he takes the basic format of a '90s Magical Girl show, but uses it to explore to to explore and deconstruct fairy tales, sexuality, feminist themes. Um, People with swords bursting out of their chest, you know, all that good stuff. <laughs> Don, what did you like about Sarazan Mai in the end? So, um, what spoke to you? I think that what I found interesting or compelling about it was the, I liked the duality between what you had with the the otter or the the construct and also you know, the love versus desire um, theme that ran through much of the show. I I personally, and we talked about it a little bit, but I didn't feel that we got to the root of why Otter was trying to separate love and desire, what the, what the impetus behind that was, why that was a tension. And it's still a compelling theme for me now throughout my life when you think about the, the twin emotions of love and desire and how they intertwine and why it would be so important um, to find a pure extension of love. And then if you're going to find the pure extension of love, why why can't you find an, another pure and therefore um, untainted extension of desire? What's like this one treated desire as if it was something that was a was something that would cause you to fail, would break down your ability to maintain integrity. If you will, that's to me what happened with the with the zombies, um, is that they their desires overwhelmed their senses of self until all they were were these husks that were manifesting the desire. Mm-hmm. Um, but in real life, we have to balance love and desire, and these things um, exist in a in a tension, and therefore, you know, we we shouldn't need to. We shouldn't have to reject or corrupt desire entirely or be corrupted by desire, I should say. Um, in, in, we shouldn't have to therefore reject it entirely in order to maintain our sense of self. And maybe this has to do with the fact that Kappa, the, with Kepi being split, um, and maybe it was part of that, but we didn't explore that in the, in the previous discussions. Well... I liked the songs and the colors and the dancey frogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you like the anal probing? <laughs> Whoa, hey. Um, well, yeah, I well, mean, you know, you watch the first episode, you know, without any forewarning and there's a lot more stuff to do with the anus than you were expecting. That has to be said. Yes. Um it was it was shocking at first, but I think uh I, I I've said this in the podcast before, but I was really into a type of drama in Japan that we often categorized as misery porn. And um, at times, Sarazamai would have those same sort of uh, currents in it where like terrible things were happening, like a child was um, was hit by a car as his brother was going to meet his birth mother. Like the like confluence of events there is 
is so stacked in the direction of misery that that kind of thing appeals to me. Um, but it was also singing frogs and dancing and it was like, it was lovably adorable, sweet gay couples <laughs> who were also police officers. Like, uh, I, I totally see what Victoria is saying about like having that sort of like high, low brow or I'm not sure that's the word I'm going to use there for it, but um that sort of like humorous and serious side or the dramatic and the very broad humor side of it. So, um, Don, you had, you had a big question for Victoria and it was about Rayo. You want to, you want to ask her that question because you brought it up in every episode and I had to edit it out of like four episodes at the very least. It was about his teeth. Yes. And in fact, when you brought it up, I was like, I wonder if I'm going to remember this. And then you said, it's about Ray. And I was like, oh, yes. Why does he have serrated teeth? What's going on? What? I mean, I, I was like, did I miss something? Is this something I should have been clued into? Please tell me. Is, that it, you for know opening, is it for opening like cans of soup? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, possibly. But the, the answer, and it's not that interesting, is that Ikuhara suggested it to the character designer, me. That's your answer, Don. What do you think that of is, your that answer? Is the answer? That is all you have done is stab me through the heart because <laughs> it there ha- like I feel like he wouldn't have suggested it without a reason. Just being flippant about it just uh, that doesn't seem right. So there's even if it were just one step removed, it's like, oh well, he's supposed to be uh, uh, an incarnation of a of a carnivore or something like if that was the, if that was the real answer, I'd be like, that's fine. That's satisfying. But instead, because Ikuhara said so is not, doesn't get me all the way there to the end that I want. So what, I'm what very much your... appreciate your, your response to the question, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't pierce the veil of mystery that surrounds the serrated teeth. What was your, what was your theory before she said that? Like what, what was, what was your idea that possibly, well, not to romance it too much, but uh, I definitely would have thought, I, I was like, well, maybe there's more history behind the Kappas. Maybe um, maybe he's one of, maybe it ties into another story where he was at one point this, this incarnate of some evil creature or some that was turned into being the royal guard or something. And it's a, it's a vestige or remnant of his previous life. It's like, you know, if you get into the tales of... Um, of um, uh, monkey, the the god king in, in the Chinese mythology, mm, you know, um, yes. and he comes across um, a, a pig, a pig demon that he eventually subdues and befriends, and that demon, of course, manifests quite a lot like a pig um, throughout the 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 stories. So that you know, that's the vestige that he carries with him. So I thought, well, maybe it's something like that. I, I I definitely may have taken it perhaps a little too far then. Oh, Ikuhara thought it would cool if he had, you know, serrated teeth. <laughs> what is the name of that story? Is it Journey to the West or Journey to the um, East? Or, it's, I, um, I think it's really Monkey. Um, uh, the, you think it's just called Monkey? No, well, really? it really is. <laughs> well, I mean, for example, if you want to watch this with your kids, there's an Australian TV show, which is based loosely on 
the, some of these stories, and that is just called Monkey. Um, but uh, that character pops up a lot in Japanese culture. Dragon Ball. Yeah. So, and I actually have been reading the the novel translation of the original myths uh, of Monkey and you know what he did and how he like was subdued by the heavens and tried to work for the celestial beings and you know all what became of it and how he he did fight them to a standstill in many cases it was it's a very interesting you know it's, and it's very you could literally be talking about one piece and not have to change a single word there uh, i mean this is actually the teeth podcast yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to let's get back to Sarazamai. Yeah. I'm yeah. Victoria, I wanted to ask you, um, where does Sarazamai rank among Ikuhara anime for you? It is not my favorite. Which I wasn't expecting because I'm I, I, I usually I usually regard the things that were formative of me in my youth as my favorites. The things that really, you know, yeah, that really impacted me as a person. So I wasn't expecting something to hit me that hard in my thirties. But it's actually it's actually my favorite. It act it is actually my favorite now. It you know I, I mean I lo- I love Utena nearly as much, but it's I I just absolutely fell in love with the show last year. What is it about Sarazamai in particular, like that that makes it more important to you now? Like what did it what spoke to you uh, about this story? My pr- my relation with the other Ikuhara shows. With the disclaimer that I actually didn't watch Yuriko Marashi and Penguin Drop till after Sarazanmai, nonetheless the point stands is that in the rest of it in the rest of his shows, I see the characters, I view the characters in a more intellectual way. I see them as metaphors for their respective for their respective um for their respective scenes, for their respective con- concepts. And while that's here true here true here as well. I also just find the characters so compelling. Like I'm actually, I, I'm actually like very emotionally invested in you know, in, in them having in them growing up okay and having good lives and eating three meals a day, getting a full night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of um, swag from the show. You also went to Japan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You went to Japan and attended the the stage play, which is amazing. I did. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Don, did you watch the clip I sent you? I did. And I one thing before we continue, because I do want to get Victoria's understanding of it. But um, sorry, Rayo's partner is, is who again? Mabu. Mabu, I have to say, in that clip of the stage play you sent, looked an awful lot uh, like you have looked in the past, Miss Stewart. I, I don't know if you saw the resemblance <laughs> yourself, but I saw it and I was like, oh, oh, no. oh huh, yeah. I, 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 I'll just throw that nugget out there and then over to you, Victoria. Tell us about the stage play. Yeah. So the stage play, I didn't actually go to Japan just, just for it, but it got announced... It got announced September 2019, and I realized that the last two of the six days it was running happened to coincide with my trip, which was awesome. So I so I applied for ticket ticket. I went to two of the final four showings in Osaka, and this was really this was really great because usually by the time I'm able to go to Japan, like any anime or like any seasonal anime I liked is just it's it's over. 
and the promotional events have t- have, have t- you know, kind of all they've all wrapped up. This was the first time I would actually get to get to go and see something like this and for something for a show that meant so much to me. So I got to you know, I got to, I got to see what the I got to see what the Japanese fandom was like. I you know, I got to rewatch so many of my favorite scenes played out on stage. It it just felt completely magical and I'm really happy I was able to go. Does it cover the whole arc yeah. or did it cover the whole arc? Yeah. They they condense and rearrange things to fit the to fit the to fit the format difference, and so it doesn't take so much time. I when I was watching the show, there were certain scenes where I thought this could lend itself to the stage because I before I even watched, you had set, mentioned that you were going to watch it on a stage, I believe, and um, there was actually one scene where I, I think it was Rayo comes in on Mabu, and I talked about this in the podcast bit. The, the lighting is very much like a stage, like it's just a spotlight suddenly just on Rayo, right? And he's like walking across and like he sees the like dramatic thing happening over there. And it just reminded me of like the way that a stage sort of like blocks characters in in, uh, in a scene. And there was other things like that. Like there's not a lot of sets in the show either. Like um, you've got the, let's see, you've got the water tunnel. You've got the soccer place. <laughs> Uh, there's a couple scenes at the school at the beginning, but they never go to school again. <laughs> uh, there's another tunnel where the shooting place, the t- shooting happens. Don, do you remember any of the other scenes? Like, there's not a lot of sets. No, I mean, there was sort of in the the, the combat zone. Uh, I think there was that. I really liked the performance of... Um, of the woman who played Sara. Was that the actual woman who plays Sara in the show? Yeah. She reprised it. It was her first voice acting role and now her first acting role too. Yeah, she she yeah. was all in. <laughs> <laughs> She's a, she is absolutely adorable. Yeah, you you were mentioning something about how the stage performance was different than like they would sometimes like mix and match and almost like DJ mix like lines from the show in kind of a humorous way. Could you elaborate on that? <laughs> so, um, so this, so stage plays for anime assume you're going, you know, they assume if you're showing up to this and you've shelled out for it, you're already a fan, you already know what's going to happen. So they can just, so they can just, um, So they don't, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't have to hold on to, they don't have to hold on to later reveal, to hold on to later reveals. Um, right, because the show has almost but, yeah. a backwards structure where they withhold a lot of the information you need to process what's happening. Yeah, like you see, you see Rayo and Mabu in their vassal uniforms pretty early on, for example, because if you're showing up to this, you know, you know, <laughs> you've yeah. seen it. Um, yeah, and that makes complete yeah. sense. I, was, I mean, if you have more to yes. contribute, please. I just wanted yeah, to follow it's, up. So it's so if this if this particular stage play did that I thought was funny was that it it condensed some of the scenes very purposely winkingly unartfully there are also there's there are also very very good stage adaptations of Utena that have come out Revolutionary Girl Utena that have come out in the past two years that more artfully layered some of the that more artfully layered some of the scenes like having two separate duels going on at the same time switching between the two to show to show the parallels here. In this in this one, they 
for example, condensed Enta and Toei's main leaks into one into one battle. So they actually just composited the two zombies on top of each other on one of the on the projection screen. <laughs> and they just you know, it, it just they're just like they you know they, they just they just did it. If you want to co- <laughs> if you want to like have that experience at home, all you have to do is take the video and like change the opacity on one and put it on top of the other and just watch <laughs> two episodes at the same time. Yeah, that wouldn't be at all confusing. It makes it- <laughs> no. <laughs> or you can or you can watch the or you can watch the Blu-ray of the stage play. You can see that. Too. <laughs> but it's um it, it was it was also funny because then they condensed the conversations afterward. Mm. So just like Enta barely has a moment to process it. Kazuki doesn't understand that he loves him. And then Toy comes out with a gun and asks for the place <laughs> or like threatens for the place. We it's, didn't even understand that when, we were, when we were watching it. So I'm sure. <laughs> what was it like being in the audience? Did the audience like react to the things? Like what talk about, were they in costume? Like all that stuff. They were, they were not in costume. I, they were in normal clothing and I felt completely ridiculous because I showed up, you know, decked head to toe in merch or head to torso. <laughs> and I'm already, I already stand out because I'm white. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it was, it was most, it was mostly a lot of other, a lot of other shy otaku women, nearly, nearly all, nearly all women. I think I maybe counted like 10 men in the audience between the two days I was there. <laughs> That's interesting. Did yeah. you, when you were watching this, Don? Did you think that this is this is a show that probably appeals to women more than men? <laughs> Ooh. Um, yes, but because Chikai was so hot, <laughs> it was not because Chikai was. You weren't so even the hot. only people who think that. It, it was He's hot in a Mandy Patinkin I mean, in uh, the Princess Bride way. <laughs> Don't go knocking the Princess Bride. It's like when I when I brought up RoboCop and I thought you were going to have oh, a meltdown yeah. the day. <laughs> um, the uh, no the the way that I saw it, um, it's because the themes are more emotional and about connections between people. And in general, your your stereotypical male viewer is going to be more interested in war themes or ninja themes. Or I'm I'm, I'm projecting onto a slightly younger audience necessarily, but um, but the the general themes here were more female friendly than male friendly. I think to get us started. And I also think there may have been some people who might have found the first episode off putting. Um, and been <laughs> challenged to move beyond um, because you just don't know where it's going, right? Like you, yeah. you don't know if you're going to get a lot more um, exposition in this particular way. And I think, you know, after we had watched several episodes and I realized that the, the sort of body violations were not body violations. meant to be squeamish or, or of a sexual nature, then actually the whole thing became much... Um, like it, it didn't, to me initially, it was like, well, is this going to be uncomfortable? Like, how am I supposed to react to this? But after I saw that it was more, it's literally more about sort of the the, the lack of desire on the, the part of our main characters in a lot of way. And the lack of 
Um, I won't say the lack of sexual tension, but that definitely takes a backseat to a lot of what we're seeing here. Like this is not this a is show. An interesting about question sex. for Victoria. Uh, Victoria, were you when you first started watching it? Were you uncomfortable with what you were seeing? I mean, it's very, gro- it's it's a, it's funny, but it's grotesque. I thrive on weirdness, so no. <laughs> My general complaint about thing about shows is that they aren't weird enough. <laughs> so no, no. I mean, I I admit. Despite my, you know, despite how much I love Atena, I was, I was, I was, I still had my initial skepticism get over. I'm just a bit of a hard customer in general where, you know, probably some of my job people, I'm like, well, is this actually going to, is all this style actually going to work out to substance? It didn't take long to find out it did, but. <laughs> but yeah, I see, we, we had well. debates. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, we felt like I felt it took past episode five or so where you finally start digging into the backstories. The backstories. Or, I mean, there, you're definitely getting there. Bad uh, joke. That was, was not where I was <laughs> going with that. But, stuff. Uh, no, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Oh, gotcha. No. Um, but I felt like I didn't have enough context and background. And I guess here is a question for you that we were talking about, which is, does it reward rewatching? Are there deeper themes that you feel you get out of seeing it more than more than once? Have you watched it? You know, I, I presume, though I won't um, assume that you have watched it um, more than once. In, in overall. I don't remember how many times I've watched it at this point, to be honest. It's it's hard to track because I would also go back and rewatch episodes during the original broadcast with the context from later episodes. And then again, as I bought the Japanese Blu-rays, those came in or, or just when I felt like rewatching. Um, so I, I don't know how many times, um, as with all of Ikuhara shows, there's there it becomes more rewarding on rewatch. There are still details and layers you can continue to find. Recently, I put out a call to figure out the names of the Kuji parents because you could barely see them on the little gravestone on there on the table in Toy's room. Turns out they're just named after soup ingredients. It wasn't that. They're still, you know, I'm still over a year, over a year after it ended, I'm still finding, I'm still finding things. And that's, and that's true. That's true with Utana too. That's true with Penguin Drum and Yurikuruma Rashi that rewatching it, knowing, knowing what you know, and having read the other materials like the manga, like mangas or not or manga or novels. Let's talk a little bit about the manga. (laughs) Um, I know that there's that the manga is still ongoing and there is also a Rayo and Mabu manga, which I don't know if it's Canon. Have you read all of those, the the materials that are in the manga universe there? Yes. Um, (laughs) So what's 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 something that like, that seems like it might be essential information to decoding or understanding or better appreciating a character or a plot that happens in the show that is more fleshed out in the manga or that you got more, some insight from. So the ongoing adaptation by Miki, the character designer has, it's, 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 it's only just finished up the contents of episode two in the anime, but it's, it's, for example, it's 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 leaned harder into Enta's internal monologues as did the as did the novelizations, which I think 
which which I think which I think are really good because I he does he does get a little short shrift in the anime just because they only had eleven episodes and had to condense so much plot into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering about that because we were we were talking about how that character didn't seem to be as as fully to have as deep a story or as fully fleshed out, and we had bandied about um, in our discussions whether it was this was a and I was wondering if this was a hidden love story Toy, between Toy and Kazuki. Um, uh, wow, my brain just forgot Toy. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is this is why I keep Miss Stewart around. Um, no, but I, I honestly wondered that if there wasn't some that was going to be a reveal in later episodes. But it really feels like it if if they had enough time and enough you know entry, then it really would have been a. a Try um, this is a good point to, to talk about the ending because we really want to know what your read was on the ending. And I, I want to know if Don's opinion has changed in the time since we recorded our finale episode, which was about a month ago, I would say. We, at the time, were of the opinion that uh, there's a certain element of fantasy to Toy's bridge dive that suggests that maybe he made some of this up from memory and that we've been sort of living in some kind of fever dream of a time but there's also another side of that where i think that it feels a bit more triumphant and his bridge jump is him declaring that like he he made the decision to go and pay for his crimes and now he's out and he's free but we still don't think that the boys showed up to swim with him it just seems too convenient uh, that they're there at that exact same time and that they're wearing their school uniforms for some reason. What do you think? What was your take on the ending? I think that is actually what happens, but that it's it's not meant to be taken that literally, if like literally in sense of were they actually going to be there at that exact moment in time if this happened in real life? It's... Um... I had trouble verbalizing exactly what you're trying to verbalize right now by the way yeah when i was talking about I, I, it let me let me let me restart that um, no i thought that like, was good I don't, you can continue your thought though yeah i think with all of ikuhara's anime and worth mentioning that he this was also the only episode he was the director of rather than the director of the entire series is that it's it's Ultimately, the, the the themes and the message are are more important than the reality of whether this could actually happen. Like the conveniences, the conveniences are kind of it, it, the the conveniences don't really matter. It's the mean. It's the meaning of the scene. And with SARS on my, it was it was heavily influenced by the 2011 earthquake and tsunami because that changed that changed people's impression of the meaning of water in Japan, I believe Ikuhara said. Um, so water has already been established as this space between life and death yes, throughout yes. the previous episode. This place, you know, this kind of place where connections exist. So I think that's at that point, he's just, he's just going, he's just, it's, it's not, it's not so much literally that he's jumping in, they're finding him in the water. He's going into, he's going into the space to see if his connections still exist. And they do. Okay. That's three years later. I like that. Yeah. You know, it's, I, th- I think, have you, did yeah. you consider at some point that he may have 
passed from life to death and that maybe he was not happy with the life that he had when he came out? I mean, that was my, that was my worst fear. (laughs) 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 Ikuhara loves endings where somebody sacrifices themselves and gets erased from the, it gets erased from the timeline. Spoiler alert for the other ones, I guess. (laughs) I, I mean, I think I think the I think the statute of limitations on things that are are five, ten, twenty five years old or twenty three years old. I think that's I think that's up that's up and especially if we're talking about his work in general. Um, and I had gotten I, I, Toei's my favorite, so I was <laughs> during the original airtime. I was very worried that you know we were going to see this again. So certainly at that at that moment that jump happened i i thought well this is it and it wasn't it wasn't and that might be a bit and of context was, yeah. that we were lacking and that we hadn't seen any other ikuhara shows and if he used the visual language of leading you to believe that it was a suicide but then giving you that happy ending that's something that i hadn't considered really do you think that that's a possibility that he he's actually playing you a little bit like he wanted you to think that he was going to give you the typical ending of like kind of like a dour sort of like self-sacrifice, but instead he kind of switches it up. I think I think so. Though I also think at that at that point at that point when there's just minutes left in the minutes left in the episode that it was if if it was going to happen, it probably wasn't that moment. Do you remember? I was also really drunk the first time I watched this. So. Come I, I, on, you have company. I, I was just remembering. <laughs> I was I was prepared for anything to go south at any moment. Um, now I now I don't have that a year later. <laughs> well, let me let me give you some evidence that I was looking at and that I brought up to Don and may have swayed his opinion slightly. But I noticed that that um, there's a certain level of uh, realism that sneaks into the show in that last coda. Um, there's a couple scenes where we seem to go back into that world where people are represented by paper dolls. Um, but a lot of the street signs that were like, like, um, Sarah themed now are like exactly as they actually exist. And I know you actually went to these places. Yeah. (laughs) You like went on a tour of all these real places and they appear in these last episodes more frequently than they do in other episodes. And also we get scenes of him in prison and he's working on like, he's working on the smell pouch, which I thought was interesting. He's drinking Kappa milk, but there's no, there's only one pee. Um, When they show the Kappa like um, street, I forget what it is. I I went over this in the podcast. Yeah. When they show the Kappa bridge, uh, it's spelled as it actually is and not as, um, as a water demon. Like, are they trying to say that like are they trying to create a divide between sort of like the the world of the show and sort of the real world and they're sort of throwing Toei back into the real world in some way? This is too much for you. <laughs> I should have let you know this beforehand, but I kind of didn't want to talk about it yet because I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts first. I mean, I think I think I think that's I think that's I think that's valid. Um my my takeaway is just that it was going back to his his core speech about people being forgotten and being replaced, you know, things being things and people being forgotten and replaced. He's returning and find, yeah. You know, he's he's returning and found that, you know, 
this the district has gone on without has gone on without him. The statue's been replaced. His family's still running the the soba shop as if nothing changed. Sarah's been replaced by a frog. I was completing the whole frog joke. Yes, <laughs> the frog joke was one of my favorite things of the entire series. I remember saying this to Dawn, and he just had no reaction. Oh. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I think that I think the origin of that may be from what's his name. I think Rionis. There's a hold on. There, there's a there's a book called Kappa that I read. Do you know Yeah. Yurinosuke of Kutagawa, sorry. Kutagawa Yurinosuke, yes. Yeah, there's an offhand line in that that calling Kappa a frog was like the ultimate insult. So I think that's where that came from. But um, moving moving back, um, I think it's I think it's just bringing it's just bringing it back to that that you know he's he's shown up. Things have all moved on without him, but but his connections are still there. Well, despite despite it all, I like that take, Don. How do you feel now? Do you think that you've has Victoria convinced you that maybe we were wrong? I think so, but I think the most compelling argument that you had is that by by the director directing this particular episode himself, it is more about these larger themes, and we're supposed to look at the big picture and not the details, which is what um sabrina and i were kind of doing is obsessing over little details that might provide clues when instead we're just supposed to absorb the message that's being shared here and trying to look at it in its entirety we lost the forest for the trees i think Hey there, I'm Marn, and I've got a new podcast right here on the Orange Groves Network. Every other Thursday on Dead Letter Society, I'm going to invite a friend into my library of terror to discuss a piece of horror fiction. We'll tackle topics like, why does Stephen King like evil clowns so much? Why is Ikea so inherently scary? And why don't young adult publishers like the horror genre? You can even read along with us week to week and weigh in with your own opinions on the Orange Groves Discord. So check out Dead Letter Society, a horror book club podcast, on the Orange Groves Network website or your podcast provider of choice. Hey Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe. I watch for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month at best. Did, did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real-life politics and events. I, I must have forgotten what... Where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? stuff uh who is your favorite character let's fangirl a bit don you can fangirl too you're an official girl for the moment <laughs> yeah um, i wear my honor honorary badge with pride uh, i am a, i am a coochie bro stan um toy's my favorite 
Chikais would be second favorite then. Not 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 originally. I actually I really hated him the first few. But the Chikai segment of the fandom is very dedicated to portraying him as this complete idiot, which the, <laughs> which, this, which the um which the subsequent which the subsequent materials that came out after the anime actually supported. So that 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 one that won me that won me over. I actually really I actually really like his character now. Um, Did you like our discussions about Chikai? How I think we got into. Um sort of looking at him as possibly not believing some of the things that he says, um, like some of his like nuggets of philosophy, like that things disappear, that only the, only the bad can survive in this world seem to have had their roots in losing his parents who uh, ultimately were too weak to continue. Uh, But ultimately he also is too weak because he's not able to do what he needs to do to survive or he's too dumb to, I guess would be your, your position on it. <laughs> Cause you listen to our podcast, except for the finale, which I haven't he posted does, yet. I, th- I think he does on, I think he does on some level because he regrets that Toei became like him. He wanted, you know, he wanted him to, he wanted him to stay innocent and stick to stick to his dream. Um, but he he got involved with the yakuza stuff before before their parents died. The the novel makes this explicit, I think, but I still got that. Did you think it was explicit in the anime cuz I wasn't sure cuz the only time we hear about his pre yeah. like we knew his parents were worried about him, but that was not his parents actually, that was his aunt yeah. and uncle. But we didn't get information in the anime I felt um except for that he had some attachment to his real parents uh, at some point he wrote like that he wanted to cook with them again or something. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a little more, it's a little more ambiguous, but the first, the, the first time we see him in a flashback in episode four, when he comes up, when he comes to take the parents jewelry, like he's already, he's already, you know, he's already wearing the Yuri Kamome, the, the gang's uniform, also interesting right. interesting tidbit because I do think you're right to look at the details. Um the date on the photo is actually the date of um Santa Matsuri, which is this which is this festival which is this festival in Asakusa every year. The date on that particular photo, I believe, was one was a year that the Yakuza presence at the festival was so bad that they ended up canceling certain parts of the festival the next year. So wow. yeah, there like everything you possibly think of has. <laughs> you know, so it's you know we we fans have have kind of you know assumed that's probably when he that's probably when he got involved or when he met Kamome, the leader. There 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 are there are so there are so many layers. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's why you're here to tell us about the stuff that we really. I mean, I don't know if I even reading all of the supplemental material, I would have picked up yeah. on that. I mean, I, I didn't, know that. I didn't know about you. it either. But it's, but that's been part of the fun. I didn't know about it originally, but it, that's been kind of part of the fun treasure hunt of it is finding out, finding out what what all these references mean and learning learning things about about the world this way. Don, who is your favorite character, and why is it Yamtaro? <laughs> 
I liked Toei. I thought Toei was the most interesting character. Oh, two votes I for mean, Toei. It, uh, also, I feel that Toei gets more airplay, frankly, than other characters. And I found, I I I found um, Kazuki's story to be too too misery porn, like you described. Like once once I got the backstory there, I was like, oh come on! Like <laughs> I also wanted uh, Kazuki to be more aware. Um, he's he's almost an idiot savant in in certain circumstances and i just Mm -hmm. i i longed for a character with more depth and that was toei um from from what i saw and i would have wanted enta to have more backstory as you were mentioning victoria so of the of the major ones i i still maintain the loathing for chikai um that you you described i an idiot would be one thing but still he causes all sorts of trouble and he's just not He's not a redeeming character, even at the end <clears throat> when he's when he tries to give his brother the money like that. That's not that was never what his brother wanted. So, yeah, and he kind of slaps him. Yeah, and it. it's like, well, but though, it's not. Yeah. I think that was an accident, though. You know, if you're bleeding even, out, and whether it was not speaking, uh, whether it was but... or wasn't, the sentiment <laughs> yeah. is just, you know, is in the it's it's not what. Toei wants or needs in that moment. It's all his brother could ever give him, really. But I, I okay. no, I'm happy for you to defend uh, Jakai oh, and or present a view. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm not, but um, um what I was gonna say, but I think there's more more to that scene, and that Toei is also realizing that what he did didn't end up helping Jakai. Like he saw himself as you know, he thought that giving up soccer doing crime was the right thing to do to be with him, but he actually would have, he actually would have made him more happy if he had not, not you know, if he had not, he, if he had not right. followed and been a bad person. Yeah. I, I liked, uh, I liked Rayo and Mabu a lot. And as I said, I, I wanted them to have more of a backstory. I wanted the serrated teeth to be something I, I uh, <laughs> And I still feel my favorite character is Rayo's serrated <laughs> teeth. I, 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 what I wanted to see was like how did um, Otter corrupt them? How you know what were their roles before? Like I, I, it's alluded to, but there's no, there's no explanation or backstory. And I'm sort of fascinated by turncoats of this nature. And you know, what was it that purifies them and brings them back into the fold? I mean, I understand it's their death essentially, but but why would they not? be at risk of corrupting again and perhaps they are so there are, there are, few, there are a few aspects of that um one is mm-hmm. that the one one thing one one problem was that due to the schedule of Noitamina, the the block that this aired on they were only able to have 11 episodes so the creators did lean more on the side materials to fill out to fill out certain backstories and Rehot Mapo actually they have they have a they have a lot. They were actually promoted before the anime came out. First via the spin-off manga, it's a spin-off manga, which is available in English by Seven Seas Entertainment. Um and then with the Twitter with the Twitter account, which also ran which also ran before and about up to when the when the show started. The manga the manga is about Rayo and Mabu raising a baby Sara? Officially canon, 
it's not the material for this. It's not the material in the franchise. I'm I'm personally the most crazy over because it is mostly, it it is mostly kind of lighthearted, lighthearted fluff. Which which you know, it's not it's not a bad thing. It's really cute, but it's not. Yeah. It doesn't have the level of it doesn't have the level of depth depth that the other multimedia aspects do. I, I personally don't think I don't think it fits into the canon all that well because it would have required. Sarah had somehow been born in the human world, gone back to the Kava Kingdom, come back to Earth again after the Otter attack, and not particularly regard Rayo and Mubber as her parents. So I, you know, I'm I, I don't think it quite fits. My my take on it is that it was meant to build interest in them as characters as well as to reach an audience that previous Ikuhara shows weren't didn't reach out to it ran in a boys love magazine and Ikahara is mostly known for lesbians. <laughs> he, he really loves lesbians. Did you get that? <laughs> I, I um, got it. Do you know what boys love is? Uh, I think I can guess. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's boys. No, you got me. You got it. You got it. Love. Uh, my favorite character by default is Toy. Also, so. you were as if you were holding out for some big like reversal of fortune. Unfortunately, there's not enough Enta. There yeah. really isn't, and we were really harsh on him, as Victoria was pointing out to me <laughs> earlier. Nice. <laughs> um, but I, I just didn't, I didn't find him that appealing. But it's also diff- it's, He was at a very difficult part of his life, and I don't think that like it's easy to love someone at that part of their life when they're not being forthcoming with themselves like i wasn't even as bothered by that uh, it's like there was no tension at all with um kazuki because kazuki had no had no desire which is another aspect that we could we could no we're not gonna get into that again we've covered that i understand but like you i mean loving a log of wood doesn't get you it's not there's no end game there hey 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 man don't kink shame me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so sorry that i inadvertently threw the dart on your target twin peaks really opened up a whole new fandom <laughs> so, um this is my dated reference of the episode the log lady with the log and she talks to it and gets her pro- premonitions from it it's, it's a good i, I, I will take it. it from you but in spite of the fact that you and other um contemporaries of ours absolutely adored that show i never watched any of it once you find out what it's about, it all makes sense. It's so good. I have yet to watch it. But I mean to, and I just never get around to it. Um, let me it's 2v1 here, just, say, just so we're clear. I I wanted to like Kazuki. Dresses up as a girl, check. <laughs> like, he he was fully committed to that. He And then the whole thing with him and Haruka was really interesting to me. But I ultimately don't really like him very much. And I think it's because... It seems like his allegiances are a little flimsy, um, that he's willing to believe the worst of people pretty quickly, or the worst of himself. Um, when he when he when he finds out that Enta was the one who t- took the plates, he's he's ruthless a bit. And that was right after he had come off of being kind of happy-go-lucky about the whole thing. All right, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty there, but Victoria was like ready to explode at me for talking <laughs> madness about Kazuki. 
uh, all covered in the podcast. If you really want my opinion, you can go back to that. It, it, it totally discounts that later on he will basically sacrifice himself uh, and, and make a stand uh, to bring Enta back to life. Not sacrifice himself, but he makes a stand. Uh, but Victoria, rebuttal. Kazuki <laughs> <laughs> oh, is one of my fa- one of my favorites. I, 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 I mean, he's 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 fourteen. He's fourteen years old. He has he has a lot of self esteem issues that he needs to get over, and he he does he does learn to see what other people see in him. I think I I, I associate him with the very like old school magical girl shoujo trope of the you know somewhat oblivious innocent main character who's doesn't is maybe not the smartest of the group but is the one that brings everyone together and really touches their heart whether they realize it or not something like usagi someone like usagi and sailor moon so i i i I like him a lot like i said um there were things about him that i liked but ultimately, uh, Toei seems to be the more well-developed character for me, and I liked his journey a lot. I mean, same, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. We're all on the same page, basically, yeah. which is sad because nobody chose Kepi. Kepi's hilarious. Kepi's uh, wonderful. Kepi's the hottest character, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't like but... his Tsum Tsum design. Like, I've never been into that. Um like have you ever seen Disney Tsum Tsums? Yeah. Like the the ones you can stack. Um, I we I never understood what Sarah was exactly. Like she's the princess, but how did she fit into the end of the like kingdom? Like if if you just take that story at face value, how does she fit into all of this? I mean, she's she's a she's a kappa. As to how she fits into it exactly beyond the fact that she came to Earth to help find Kepi and get him back with his other half. I, I think that's I think that's amb- I think that's ambiguous. There is um an audio drama on the last Blu-ray volume in which in which Kepi is introducing Sarah to his parents. <laughs> but he has but not but but it's actually Kazuki. It's actually Kazuki and Drag. <laughs> <laughs> but, so i mean if if we take that at face value then you know she, maybe she was not she was probably not the princess to his prince at the time interesting uh, i don't mm. I, I don't know that it's something i've really thought that thought that much about because she she's she's the greek chorus character that's another running that's another running thing at ikuhara shows like Notoriously in Revolutionary Girl Lieutenant, you have these shadow girls who who comment on every single episode, who comment on every single episode, and you know seem to. With you're never really sure who they are, but they know, but they know a lot about what's going on in the school. And this 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 is this is this is similar. She she comments. She comments. Although I think she has a more active role in setting the setting the themes of the episode too. Not that I think she's controlling it. I just think yeah. that's the voice. I just think that's the vehicle she is for the storytelling. When you were in Asakusa, like in the flash, was mm. there a video wall with like some kind of mascot character doing the news? There's, there is that TV above the Matsuya building, which you see Kazuki walk by in the first episode. I mean, it's just, it's just showing like, normal touristy commercials or at least it was when i was there 
there there is no there is no local idol. <laughs> what is the precedent for a local idol? I I kind of equated it to both. I mean, she's dressed like a miko. She's dressed like a Japanese priestess sort of, but like with a bit more of a like magical girl twist. And then she's also um she she seems to represent Asakusa itself. Um so I kind of equated her to those weird mascots for local municipalities where like, you know how John Oliver has like cheetah, <laughs> like <laughs> has like his own cheetah in some town or something like that. <laughs> like that's how I saw her, but how did you see that character? Cause it's it, like you said, you, you saw it as a Greek chorus, but like, is there anything that sort of was the inspiration for that or. I mean, I don't follow modern idol culture, but I kind of assumed it had something to do with that, that there that you are seeing a lot more small scale idols that people can meet. Oh, um, that's true. That's true. Because they have like AKB 48, which is like the Tokyo like main drag one. Uh, but then there's like different, like different uh, sections of Japan that have their own 48 girls. Yeah, I, it's. I, I'm not. I'm not incredibly familiar with that. So take my take that with a grain of salt. But. In the original character design, she was actually just supposed to be a mysterious classmate, and she just got changed into an idol at some point over the creative process. That's some yeah. leap. <laughs> yeah, that changes things. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, every, everything is going to have its rejected drafts. So that's that's how that's how that's how it works. <laughs> so you were the one who recommended this show to me, and thank you so much for recommending it to our show because thank you for I watching. Think- <laughs> I think this was a really fun way to kick off Okashina podcast because it's such a strange show and it's it's got layers to it and the, the way it tells a story is conducive to like um discovering it. Um and you've recommended the next show that we're going to be doing Ezoke mm-hmm. Niwa Teodasuna which is keep your hands off the film study club. <laughs> Or they just they just um, use Azoken because it's so much more iconic and and it's such a stronger brand than saying Film Study Club. But um, without spoiling anything, what made you recommend that show for us? We actually brought it up as a poll for which Yuasa anime we should do next, uh, and people overwhelmingly chose Azoken, <laughs> which I was a little surprised by because there's other ones that are more famous. And this is. A very this is a bit more of a personal take, but I really appreciated that there's a show about teenage girls that respected them that really kind of respected them as human beings, as artistic creators, and it didn't it it, it just it really does not sexualize them and not to sound, you know, not to go not to go off and not to go not in this not that I want to go on a, off on a soapbox here, but that was that felt really refreshing to me. Uh, yeah, no. I after watching it myself, I thought that it has a kind of inf- infectious, nerdy enthusiasm, and I I was appreciative of the fact that romance doesn't like a, like stick its head in in ways that are obnoxious. The girls aren't sexualized in any way, so I'm excited to dig into this with Dawn over you know. A couple weeks. I, of course, have seen nothing, so I have no idea what we're talking about. No, but but now I know sort of the no tease for the next show that we're going to be watching. Oh, I got it. 
And what's interesting about Azoken is we talked about Sarazama having a lot of female fans. Well, I guess the type of fans who would show up for a stage play might tend more towards female because of I don't know Takarazuka or something. It, they they do they do tend they do tend to draw more female fans in general. But Sarazama, it's 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 definitely primarily women who are into it. And I was a little surprised to find out that Azoken has a huge male following um, in Japan. So I'm kind of that not. Interesting. I can't articulate either, but yeah, I think it's. I think that one is really. It's. 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 It's a really refreshing love letter to, to the industry that you know that and and then exploration of female friendship that doesn't ever at a point need to feel a need to objectify them, which is just. It's just that's just a trait I'm not crazy over in a lot of in a lot of in a lot of shows. So it's yeah. Well, thank you, Victoria, yeah. for joining Dawn and I for this discussion about Sarazama. Yeah. Dawn, do you have any more questions done? for Victoria? All right, Dawn, because I still have a lot more to say. <laughs> Whoa, hello. <laughs> well, I guess I guess then my final question would be, what thing do you want to mention to us about the show that we haven't touched on? What what is the most compelling bit that you think you should that we should we should take away that we failed to to discuss? Hmm. And why is it Kepi pole dancing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would have discussed that, but I blocked it out. The trauma of seeing that particular animation sequence was that's that's, that's my, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think hmm. it's a fan favorite. Strangely enough, I did want to circle back to the stage play. Um, because we were talking about how it lended itself to to a theater production. Ikahara was basically a, st- a stage a theater nerd who got into anime because the production the production time, the turnaround took less time. I have read that. Um, really? And That's I think there were... I, I thought the coolest, the coolest conceit of the stage play was to use the, ens- to use the ensemble so that they could portray the leak and flashback sequences simultaneously with the main action. Um, so let's say with the leak sequences, the anime kind of, the anime kind of replicates the approximates the sense that these, that the current action and the flashback are happening at the same time by compositing the characters over it. In the stage play, you'd have the main actors down on the stage and at the top obscured by a screen would be usually the ensemble actors dressed as the dressed as the dressed as the characters currently on stage, acting out the acting out the flashbacks, leak sequences. I thought that yeah. was, I I, th- I thought I thought I thought that was great. Yeah, that seems to have like a a very strong like emotional impact to seeing that kind of thing. You do kind of lose that a bit in the recording because they do have to cut away to thing to cut away to individual reactions, and that's just the nature of video versus seeing it live but that 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 was really great just to be able to take that to take that all in why don't they do that kind of thing i guess it's because of the language barrier but i wondered why they didn't do that kind of thing to bring over to like anime conventions or anything it seems like they would do well they did uh... for they did for sailor moon actually but the yeah i saw that in new york but the the version they brought over (laughs) I guess I, they, they well the person they brought over they basically took out they almost all the dialogue so it's a lot of uh, you know a lot of the characters just yelling each other's names and 
making screaming sounds. <laughs> like I, I, I'm not exaggerating. That, that sounds um, awful. <laughs> it, it was a little. It was a little disappointing. Yeah. That <laughs> but, that would be. Yeah. That's a very charitable way of you to phrase that. Yeah. I still. I mean, I still had a good time because it was still. I was still so thrilled it was happening and seeing generations of Sailor Moon fans was like so heartwarming. You'd see, you know parents with their kids just dressed up in cosplay and it just it, it felt it felt very rewarding as somebody who was who was there when the initial u.s broadcast just completely bombed <laughs> um i wanted to uh, ask you um and i just remembered this it wasn't in my notes uh i wanted to know what your like favorite or your most prized piece of swag or merch from sarazam mai was oh um Hmm. There's a few. I mean, I like the pin I got when I ordered one of the Christmas cakes in Japan. My my timing was so good. <laughs> I, I mean, and as as well as the as well as merchandise was sold at Haneyashiki, the theme park that appears a couple of that appears in a couple of the episodes. I was I was really fortunate to be able to go to that collaboration too. Um, was that a real place or? Yeah, it's it's the oldest it's the oldest amusement park in Asakusa, and I think they do other anime collaborations sometimes but clearly you know this this was this was perfect because the show actually takes place you know the show the show actually uses as a location so they had a little find Yantaro stamp rally they had the soundtrack blasting throughout the park it was it was lovely (laughs) do they actually have couple and be ninja days um that's i mean that's not that's not actually a thing they did they did name the event after that but sadly you know there were no there were no costumes you could wear <laughs> but i think how, how about my giant bow tie kepi plush i can actually bring this over and show you hold on now, this thing is this thing is massive i love it i mean how could how could you not look at him he's, he's, got, he's got a butthole Oh my god! Make sure my messy background isn't showing. Oh, there I need to take a photo of this. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, no detail. No, no detail left un uh, unattributed. Oh, that's yeah. That's actually that's uh, the the Kepi merchandise is great because even the wallets and or like the pouches and like train fast cases also have a butthole. <laughs> Well, that is all the time we have, Victoria. It has been so much fun having you on, and you are a well a well of knowledge. Uh, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us your. And thank uh, you for recommending the uh, the show. I, I was very. It was definitely like nothing I had seen before. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed. All right, and do you have anything you want to plug, or any place you want people to go to find out more about the show, or anything like that? Buy the localized both buy the localized copies of the anime and manga novels, please. <laughs> There's a Blu-ray from Funimation for the anime. Seven Seas Entertainment has licensed the Rayo and Mabu manga and the novels. Those are both those are both available. And if you wanna if you want to join us in um requesting the manga anthology and the ongoing manga adaptation in their surveys, that would be great. Do it for me. (laughs) I will throw those links up in our uh, show notes. But Dawn, it's been an awesome ride this series too. Next up, we'll be doing, we'll be talking about the movie Summer Wars. 
And uh, after that, we'll be doing Your Name and Weathering with You. So that's going to be a really fun time. Are you excited? I am very much so. The Orange Groves is a podcast network that supports marginalized voices and other unique podcasts. Um, and they're just a really great supportive group of people. Uh, you can also support us through coffee. You can buy us a coffee on ko-fi.com. That's uh, slash the uh, Okashina podcast, O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A podcast. And uh, come to our Twitter, hang out. Uh, we are at Okashina podcast on Twitter as well. And, you know, just be cool. Be cool. Series three will be coming soon in October. We'll be doing, as I said, Eizouken Niwa Teodasuna, Keep Your Hands Off the Film Study Club. And that's that's going to be a good time. Victoria, we have a little tradition here on the show. Um, it's, I can't even keep a straight face, sorry. <laughs> Victoria, we have a little tradition here on the show. We like to end the show with the same, with a little catchphrase at the end of every episode. Are you familiar? Yeah. All right. We're going to do it together. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Okashikui Koyo. Close enough. <laughs> I, th- I think that was like. I think it gets exponentially ever. harder as I you increase the number of people. You're right. And I think it showed a certain artlessness in in the spirit of Sarazamai's stage play. <laughs> this is actually what the stage play was, just just people saying the same thing, the same catchphrase and out of sync. Yes. <laughs> I paid a lot of money for it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you haven't really convinced me that maybe it was a good... Uh... Listen, sometimes you go all the way across the sea just to be part of something. And it doesn't matter whether it's the most polished thing in the world as long as you're with people who feel the same way as you do about the things you're passionate about. Sometimes and I'm passionate about anuses. <laughs> Thanks for... Bringing it all home right there. <laughs> no problem. Thank you all for listening. Tune in next time. Tune in. What, what is this? Well, is this a radio dial? That's fine. I, I think tune in is better than like, watch us next time. And I was like, no, no, you're you're not doing that. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Well, that's old language. We have to come up with new language. For I, I think it is okay to have the old language adapt to the new form. Possibly. I mean, they're still using the word podcast, even though most people don't use iPods anymore. Thank you. (laughs) Whoa! You just blew my mind! (laughs) Truth bomb right there! Boom! energy when we were doing the show buddies it was there maybe you just needed to reboot your router a couple times you couldn't feel it (laughs) for all the interference
Oh my god, that's <laughs> you, you've been slinging dirty, Munson. 